So we're going to talk today about the past, and particularly the regret of yesterday. And so I've been thinking a lot about this topic and talking to Lindsay about it. And um, this story came up about a friend of ours when we were thinking about this message. We have a very dear friend who's, um, she's a very uh, beautiful vocalist. She has a very beautiful voice. She leads worship at her church. And um, so she's very accomplished. She sounds great. She can definitely find a pitch. But she's always felt a little second tier in that department because her older sister has always outshined her a little bit. And they're very close in age. They're less than a year apart from each other. But her older sister has always been first chair. She's always been second chair. And she's always felt just a little bit less. And it all stemmed back to something that happened to them when they were little girls. They both auditioned for this national children's choir, one of those deals that like picks up and goes around to major U.S. cities, Washington, D.C., and that sort of thing. And they both auditioned for this choir, and her older sister got in, and she did not. And so her older sister went all around and did all this and had all these experiences, and she didn't. And she internalized at that moment that, you know, I'm okay, but my older sister is really good, and then life kind of played out that way. Now, this is not like a super heavy thing in her life, because her interests don't lie in that department. She has a great career. She has her own thing going. But it is something that has sort of affected the way that she thinks about her life. Until recently, the truth came out. Her mother, and we're good friends with our whole family, her mother admitted, I don't really even know what prompted this, that actually that's not what happened. Actually, they both got in the choir. But her, she was a year younger, and at that young age, that actually makes kind of a big difference. And when her mother got the rehearsal schedule and the travel schedule, she felt like her older sister was in a spot where she could handle that, and she didn't feel like she was quite ready for it. So she turned down the seat on the choir, but had never said anything about that. Now, like I said, this was not a super heavy thing in her life, so we were kind of joking about this, but it was like, when were you going to share that little tidbit? <laughs> were you going to, you know, take that to the grave with you? Like, was, we were joking about, like, this deathbed confession, like, come. Come closer. It was me. I held you back all these years. Um, it was something we could laugh about because it's not like core to what she wants to do with her life, but that uh, fascinated me because when she found out what really happened, it, it was as if it changed the past. Now, you can't change the past, right? You can't change what happened, but it was as if it changed the past. It recontextualized her whole life. All these things that she had believed were true about the past. And, and most importantly, whatever aspect of the past influences her today and her future had been built on something that wasn't true. It had been built on an assumption. And so that aspect of the past that affects today and affects the future, it, it actually got changed. You, you feel this phenomenon in good literature or good films where there's like a, a breakneck twist at the end, if it's done really well. It can be done kind of cheesy where it's like, and they're all dreaming and you feel very disappointed, but it can be done really well. And probably the iconic example of the modern uh, day is uh, The Sixth Sense, M. Night Shyamalan, which, spoiler alert, <laughs> he's dead through the whole movie, he's dead. And um, 
I didn't see it coming, and um, I know this movie is like 20 years old, so don't get mad at the church if you just now finding that out. I'm sorry. Um, he, I didn't see it coming, and I'm that guy. I'm the, dude, I'm the annoying dude who's always thinking five steps ahead in a movie and who's like, you know what's going on, and a lot of times I'm right. I didn't even see it coming. It came out of left field. Oh, he's dead. The whole time he's dead. And the emotional power of that moment is it's capturing this true phenomenon in life that you can come to a deeper understanding about what the past means. And it is as if it changes what actually happened. If you go back and, and rewatch that movie with the knowledge of the end in mind, it changes, the whole movie's different. Every word of dialogue, every facial expression means something completely different from what you thought it meant when you didn't know what it meant. And to me, this is just a, fa a fascinating thing. It's almost like this weird science fiction wormhole where you can't change the past, but maybe there's a, a way in which you kind of can. And maybe the aspect of the past that can be changed is actually the most important aspect of, of the past. And this is a really important thing because we all have a past and we are all affected by it. You may or may not be conscious of the way that you are affected by it. In my experience, many people are not. It's, it's, it's working in the background and it's kind of bleeding out in different places. But we all have a past and we're all affected by it. And I think it's safe to say we all have regrets about yesterday. Every once in a while, you'll meet somebody that says, I don't have any regrets, no regrets, because, you know, those things made me who I am today, and I wouldn't change anything. And I understand the sentiment, like the gratitude for you got through it, and you're, you're grateful for what's happened today. But there's another sense in which I'm like, nah, nah. <laughs> you have no regrets. You, if you went back and lived your life over from start to finish, you wouldn't change one thing. You wouldn't keep your mouth shut one time when you shouldn't have spoken. You wouldn't say something one time when you, when you should have. You wouldn't change any. You have no regrets. To me, I'm like, I don't buy that. I, I, if, you, if you have no regrets about yesterday, I don't think you've taken a careful look at your life at all. You're saying nobody's life would be better. Nothing would have changed. Nobody would be better off. You did it perfectly, kind of, is what you're saying. And I just, I don't buy that. So we're all, we all have regrets and we're all affected by regrets. And sometimes when you're affected unconsciously by regrets of yesterday, it can be even more powerful. Uh, Pete Scazzaro says that um, buried emotions don't die. Buried emotions are buried alive. And they bleed out in all kinds of different ways. And you've seen this happening in, in people's lives. So this, this is something that really affects us. You see people that are almost as if you're doomed to repeat the past. You, it just... This situation keeps coming up. I keep getting poked in this same bruised spot. I keep, I keep falling in with the same type of men, the same type of women, over and over and over again. This keeps falling through it exactly the same way. And I, most of us have felt that at some point. I certainly have. Later on in the message, I'll share about a situation that's like that, was like that recently in my own life. Some of you maybe are in it right now. I mean, maybe you're feeling it right now. Maybe that's why you've come to church right now. Is that you're like, I got to do something different. This is, just keeps repeating. Um, or sometimes it, it manifests in like a paralysis, like the, it's almost as if the past has gotten out of order. And instead of being in the past, now it's somehow gotten in front of you and it's blocking your ability to take a step towards the future. So that betrayal or that failure or that time you stuck your neck out and ended up looking like a fool or um, that time you gave it a shot and it didn't work out. And when you think about ever doing something like that again, it's like the past has gotten out in front of you and, 
And um, how could I trust again? How could I give it a shot again? How could I take a risk again? And the past is in your way, and, and there can be a certain amount of paralysis um, from the past blocking you from, from moving on. Um, sometimes the past just keeps coming back, painful experiences, things that happened to you, a behavior of other people. It doesn't make any sense, and you can't make any sense of it, and it just keeps coming back and haunting you. I've certainly experienced that. And that can even get really damaging psychologically, emotionally, um, especially in the case of real trauma. Disorders like PTSD are, can be characterized by incidences from the past, especially traumatic incidences, coming up unbidden, unwelcome, and grabbing a hold of you and like digging their claws into you. It's as if they're screaming, there's something here you got to deal with. There's something here you got to contend with. Now, if you're in a situation like that where regret of yesterday is, is crippling, and especially in the case of trauma, uh, then it, that, that is outside of my area of expertise. And I would absolutely recommend that you get professional help to guide you through that and what that means. There are treatments from the little bit of research I've done that are very promising, but I, they're way beyond my realm of expertise. And the nature of this message, I think we're going to kind of butt up against the boundaries of my expertise, but I'm really going to try not to step over that boundary. And I know that we would be willing to connect you with a professional if you're in that spot where you feel like this is really impacting my ability to live. This thing keeps coming back. Or the emotion is raw and it's not going away. You know, every time you think about it, it's just as raw as if it was happening right now. I think these are indications that... Um, you should talk to someone. And honestly, if you feel at all like maybe you should talk to someone, you should talk to somebody. Um, but regardless of whether you ever face something like that or are now, there is the kind of everyday regret of yesterday that we all face in the way the past affects us today. And I think the best way I could describe the effect that it has is it's very distracting. We're in this series of messages called Distracted, where we're talking about the things that will pull us away from what God has for us today and what God has for us in the future. And it's almost as if in life you have to keep moving forward. Standing still isn't an option. If you stand still, you will drift off in a direction that you maybe don't want to go. So you can't stand still. And I'm talking about even if you don't believe the Bible or you don't know what you think about any of this and you've come to church for whatever reason that you've come to church, even your own hopes and dreams for your life. Take the Bible out of it. You've you got to move forward. If you don't move forward, you will drift off by one of these distractors. And in my experience, it takes way more effort to stay focused on the good and what's next. It's way easier to be distracted by these strong cultural forces that can drag us away. And each message in this series, we're talking about the things that can distract us. And the topic for today is the regret of yesterday. And it certainly has the power to distract you, block you, paralyze you from what comes next. Now, I think the wisdom of the day when it comes to this is something like, forget about it. Forget the past. You can't change the past, so leave it be. Don't think about that. Put that away. And it's kind of like um, a version of it is what it is applied to the past. And you know what? Fair enough. There's some truth in that. Sometimes there are situations in life that you're like, it is what it is. This is outside of my control. And sometimes there are things that happened in the past and there are real consequences from the past. And there is a degree to which it is true, like I can't change that. It is what it is. But it's not 
the whole truth. And the Bible talks about this reality that there actually is a significant portion of the past, as crazy as this sounds. It's so profound, I don't even know how anyone came up with it, that there is a portion of the past that you can do something about. And I want to take you to where uh, one of the writers of the Scripture, Paul, one of the early leaders, talks about this. And we're going to look at a, a letter that he wrote to young believers in the city of Philippi. It's called Philippians. And I, I want to look at, it's, it's actually been kind of a go-to verse, or it's become a go-to verse regarding the past and the future. This is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. This is the um, contemporary English version that I'm reading. He writes, my friends, these young believers that he's writing to, I don't feel that I've already arrived, but I forget what is behind and I struggle for what is, behead, what is ahead. I forget what is behind, and I struggle for what is ahead. And very often, I think this verse is applied in the way of that wisdom of the day. Forget about what's behind you, focus on the future. I have myself have applied this verse in that way. And I think that is true so far as it goes, but I think what Paul is talking about is a lot more complicated than that and a lot more helpful um, than that. And that's what I kind of want to dig in to a little bit. And here's how I got into thinking about this. When I was preparing for this message and I read that verse, I tried to read it really honestly. And it, you have a very experience, interesting experience with the Bible if you really try to be really honest about how it makes you feel and what you think about it. And I read that and my first response was, I don't buy it. I, I, don't, think that's, I don't think that's true. I mean, first off, I don't even know how that's possible. I don't know, how do you forget the past? Like, I, you don't recall it. Secondly, it seems a little disingenuous to pretend like that never happened or to pretend like I never did that thing. It just, it doesn't feel uh, that it has the same kind of forthright honesty that truths that Jesus shared, like the truth will set you free, suggest to us. And, and that leads me to the third thing. It seems to fly in the face of obvious teachings of Scripture about the past and about memory, like where Scripture says, if you claim to be without sin, you are a liar, and the truth is not in you. Um, or remember, remember, this, this call is all throughout Scripture, remember who God is, remember what God has done, remember how far you've come, remember how He found you and what you've done for you, remember. So it seems... That understanding of this verse seems to fly in the face of those um, obvious teachings of, of Scripture, and I don't, actually don't think that's what Paul is saying. Now, whenever that happens, whenever you have that experience, you've got to just pause, especially if you're preparing to, to preach about a verse and you have that experience. You've got to pause and you have to say, all right, first off, the people that wrote the Scripture were brilliant, world-class, global historical uh, geniuses. These were not primitive people. They were, the, the things that they wrote down have withstood the test of time and influenced our culture in incalculable ways. And if you're a Christian, then you also believe that God's Spirit inspired these words and that He oversaw the collection of these documents and curated it to make sure that we got what was useful for our faith. And so whenever that happens, you've got to step back and say, there's something going on here that I don't understand. And the first place to look is the context. And I feel like 99% of the time, that'll get you where you need to go. And that's the case in this 
verse. If we just zoom out just a little bit and look at what Paul is writing about, just the first few verses before this, you see that this is not some uh, a few words you can just sort of lift out and make them mean whatever you want to make them mean. This is actually a culminating statement on a little passage where he's, he's making a point. And I think we, the modern thinker, we fall into this mistake often because it's like the soundbite generation. But the reality is there are truths that cannot be adequately expressed in 140 characters. And so, you, you have to kind of zoom out a little bit and see what is, what's being talked about here. So, I want to do that just a little bit. We're just going to back up a little bit into uh, earlier in this chapter 3. I want to look at verses 3 through um, about 8, and I think that'll get us where we need to be to understand what this verse, uh, the fullness of what this verse means. So, back in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, a few verses before this, Paul writes, we don't brag about what we have done. Now, what What's going on there is he's in prison writing this letter. He can't be with these new believers, and so he's doing the best he can do. He's sending letters to them. And while he's been away, there have been other religious leaders and teachers that have come in among the churches and were teaching things that were contrary to the gospel, to the good news about Jesus. They're teaching it's about following this law, doing this ritual. Ritual. It's not about what Jesus has done for us. It's not about who Jesus is and what He is doing, which is the gospel that Paul preached to them. And these were kind of like celebrity pastors a little bit. They, they, they would kind of wield their religious pedigree, and these were young believers, and so they were fallen for it, and they were kind of getting pulled away from the gospel. And so Paul writes, we don't brag about what we have done. He's kind of referencing these teachers. Although I could, which is to me hilarious that he put that in there. I, you know, every once in a while, if you're, if you're from the old school, you've got to just throw down to let the young bucks know <laughs> that you got it. You know, you let them, you give them some rope, and every once in a while, you just got to yank that chain back a little bit to let them know. It's not that I can't, it's that I'm choosing not to. Like, my boys are really into wrestling right now, and I just let them, I'm like, you're, I'm the only person in the world you're allowed to do this with. They just punch me and smack me in the back. I'm the only person that you can do this with, and they're learning their limits, and they're learning how to structure their aggression in a way that'll be helpful for everybody. But every once in a while, they get a little out of line, and, and, I, and I just got to be like, hold up, you forgot who you're dealing with, and I just pin them with one finger, you know? He's like, you see that? You just remember who you're dealing with right now. And that's kind of like this. He's like, you know, we don't brag about what we've done, although I could. Others may brag about themselves, but I have more reason to brag than anyone else. Man, Paul does not pull his punches. He, he, he says what he's really thinking. I mean, there's another place in Scripture where he says, I'm the worst sinner who's ever lived. And here he says, I have more reasons to brag than anybody else. And he goes into it. Now, he's talking to people living within that value system, that hi hierarchy of values represented by first century Judaism, that following the law as laid out by God to, to become righteous with God. And so that's what he's talking about when he says, I have reasons to brag. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. On the day when you're supposed to be, I've been following the law since before I could choose to follow the law. My parents followed the law for me before I could choose to follow the law. And I'm from the nation of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I am a true Hebrew. As a Pharisee, he just kind of, kind of mentions that on the side, but the Pharisees were the most elite 
law-abiding religious sect of first century Judaism. They were not, as we sometimes caricature them nowadays, as like the villains. They were the people that everyone would have looked at and said, those are the people that, I mean, if anyone's going to heaven, those are the people that are going to heaven. And he just kind of says it off to the side. As a Pharisee, I strictly obeyed the law of Moses. And I was so eager that I even made trouble for the church. And what he's referencing there is he was so convinced that their, uh, their understanding of the faith was true that when this weird little cult started to bubble up of people that claimed that Jesus was the Son of God and that even though he died, he had come back, they'd seen him back alive, and this started to bubble up, he did the right thing, and he clamped down on this nonsense and protected the, 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 the flock, the religion, from this weird heresy that was popping up. And so he, he went around and he broke up families and he threw people in prison and he repossessed property and, and he even oversaw the executions of at least one believer that we have recorded for us in Scripture, maybe more. And so he's saying, I was so right, I was so sure that I was right that I even made trouble for the church. I did everything the law demands in order to please God. Now, just pause. I want to point out that this is just a few verses before the verse that we're looking at, and Paul very clearly remembers the things that he did and the things that happened. It's, it's not that he literally doesn't recall or that he pretends like his past doesn't exist. So that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is something much more profound and much more useful than that, and it has to do with the meaning that he attached to those things. And this is where he goes next in verse 7. He says, but Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable is worthless. Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he's not saying like, that stuff never happened, forget about it. Or I never think about the past, I never remember the past. When he's saying, I forget about the past and strain towards the future, he's saying, I forget about my wrong-headed notions about what the past meant. I forget about my, uh, my incorrect, erroneous system of values. What Christ has shown me is that what I once thought was valuable, this, this hierarchy of values that Paul had climbed it and he was at the top, was just wrong. The whole way he was understanding his past was wrong. That value system is worthless. And so, when Paul says, I forget about the past and strain towards the future, he's saying, I forget about my understanding of what the past means. I didn't get it. But he's not saying, I, I forget all about it. No, that happened and I did that. But what it means for today and what it means for my future, that has changed. And I, it would be difficult for me to overstate what a profound thought that is. That, and it may be the most important thing about the past. Is what happened may not be the most important thing about the past. What it does today and tomorrow might be the most important thing about the past. And it may be the case that the world has not yet seen what could happen through men and women who have made decisions about what they believe about the past and what values they view their own past through, and who have filtered the past into the present and the future through a lens of what Jesus says about the past and what Jesus says about what's truly valuable. It could be that the world has not yet seen the difference that men and women like that would make in the future, in their own lives, in your families, in your communities, and in everything that you put your hand to. It's such a profound thought 
that you can't change the past, but you can change what the past means. Now, what this made me think of was something I heard from a psychologist recently, which had to do with the purpose of memory. And, and this guy said that the purpose of memory was not to recall what happened in the past. The purpose of memory is to extract from the past that which would be useful for the present and the future, to glean from what happened that which you can take into the future. And so the, the thought there was that it, it can be the case when the past has kind of gotten out in front of you, or when the past seems to be repeating itself, or when the past seems to be reaching up and grabbing you by the throat and making you look at it, that there's something there to be reckoned with, that there's something there to be gleaned or, or to be uh, used in the future. Now, I'm not saying that God causes bad things to happen to teach you lessons. That's ridiculous. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God is so big that He can work all things out for the good of those who love Him. He can. And we are so small. The universe is so big and complicated. And our little, we're, it's like our little finite lives. We're in a dark little corner. We're peering through a keyhole into something vast. And we know so little about it that you can learn from anything. And if there's something from your past that's reasserting itself or, or, or blocking you from moving on to the future, it could be that there's something there that you need to face, admit, come to terms with, learn from, or make a decision about. So, for example, um, it's very helpful to ask the question, and it's a good chance that some of us need to go home and ask this question today. If you're introverted, go get a cup of coffee with someone and ask the question out loud. If you're extroverted, go get your journal or whatever and ask yourself the question. But ask the question about this thing that you regret that keeps coming up. What, if anything, do I have to learn from this about God, about the world, the nature of reality, about people, the nature of humanity, or about myself? And if you ask a question like that, you'll be shocked how quickly something inside you rises up to answer it. You'll be shocked at how quickly something rises up to answer that question. It could be something just simple like you need to, you just never thought about, it was a bad thing and, and it happened to you and it's confusing, but God was there and He got you through it. And maybe you never really thought that through. And so you're having a hard time turning towards the future because there's that fear of what if it happens again? Would I be able to get through it? But the thing is you did get through it. God got you through it. And, it. and if you just face that and think it through, like, of course, it wouldn't be fun. You never want to go through it again. But if it did happen again, you'd be okay. And maybe what God's trying to say is, like, you don't have to be afraid. I, I got you through that. And I, I'm not going to hand you a universe where there's full of promises that those things will never happen again. That's not how it works. But what I am trying to do is to make you strong and resilient. And I'll be there with you. And you need to think that through because we got through it before and, and you don't need to be afraid that it would happen again because I'll get you through it just like I got you through it before. It may be something about God. It may be something about the nature of the world or the nature of humanity. Um, I, I think that sometimes this hits people hardest in areas of betrayal or if you've ever come up against evil it is the only word that's fit for some of the things that happen in the world. And um, maybe you're a little naive. Maybe, maybe you're innocent as doves, but you're not wise as a serpent yet. And, and, and maybe God is saying, ah, oh, you can handle it. With me, you can handle it. You can face it. 
You don't have to pretend like the world is all sunshine and roses. You're strong enough to look at it. You're strong enough to open your eyes. You don't have to be willfully blind to this any longer. You can see things as they are and handle it. I can do that in you. And this thing that's asserting itself to you, maybe there's a part of which you need to go back and you need to say, like, you know what, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit naive. Uh, it, it, is, it is true that sometimes people do ill because they want to and take pleasure in it. And the only word for that is evil. And you just got to expand your worldview a little bit. And the degree to which you try to clamp down on it and push it away, it's going to keep reasserting itself because your map of the world, it doesn't map onto the real world. And, and God's trying to grow you. For me, the hardest things to deal with are when that's something about myself. It's, the most, it's not fun. It's, this is not fun. I'm not recommending a fun thing for you to do today. The worst things are when I've come to the point where I did evil, I did wrong on purpose and took pleasure in it. And if you've got a naive view of yourself, um, well, first off, I think you're very dangerous because uh, you don't know what you're capable of. And, um, and, but it, it could be that your sense of self-worth, your sense of being lovable, your sense of having a purpose is too bound up in you feeling like you're a good person. And you've never done anything really wrong. But what do you know? I mean, you've never been in a really, really bad situation. So what do you know what you're capable of? And if, you, if you'd watch your thoughts for half a day, you'd be shocked at, at, at what you're capable of. But, but you, you, the scales have to kind of fall off your eyes to, to see yourself that way, and it will force you to shift your sense of self-worth and value from, I'm basically a good person, to, what does Jesus say about me? What has He done for me? How does He feel about me? And maybe Jesus is saying to you, like, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to pretend like you're better than you are. You can face who you really are. Because I see who you really are, and I love you more than you can possibly imagine. And I see who you can truly be. But we can't move forward till you know where you are. And, and, and these things that have happened are, are coming back up, trying to, to, trying to point out, where are you on the map? You don't, you don't know where you are. You're trying to move forward, and you don't know, even know where you are. And I want, I want to meet you where you are so we can do something real in your life. I, I think this comes out in, in trust a lot, too. There's a way in which... You can trust people in a naive way that sounds like this. I trust God, I have faith in God, or I trust people, I have faith in people because I believe that they're never going to hurt me. And then they do, and that destroys you. And I've been through it, it's terrible. But the more mature version of trust, the kind of trust that Jesus had and exhibited is, I choose to trust you even though I know I'm going to get hurt. And I choose to trust you because I know that it's my best shot at bringing out the best in you. And I choose to trust God even though Jesus promised in this world you will have trouble. Because it's my best shot at bringing out the best in me. Because Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Sometimes this is super practical. Sometimes it's just you know what, I'm looking back on that situation and I should have an emergency fund together. I was vulnerable to what happened to that job loss, that setback or whatever, because my finances were a mess. I was living day to day and I need to change that. And as soon as you make that decision and change it, it's, it's like it changes the past. Now it wasn't a horrible thing that happened, now it was a lesson that propelled you towards what you're supposed to do right now. Or maybe it's like, um, you know what, I do keep 
dating the same type of women. I do keep dating the same type of men, and I'm the one who's doing that. So, <sighs> cuts a little close to the bone. So, maybe you need to say, you know what, before I, I hook up with another guy, I'm going to go talk to her about it. And by her, I mean that godly, mature, sane person that you know. Not the other friend you have that keeps doing the same thing that you're doing that you go to because you know she's going to tell you you only live once and go ahead and do it anyway. And, and maybe you need to actually say, like, I'm going to do something different and that pain from the past can transform. Uh, I had an experience a couple weeks ago like that for me. I, life punched me in the gut, laid me out. I was, I was reeling. Somebody that had the, the ability to damage me did. They... Um, disappointed me at the least, and I think betrayal maybe isn't too strong of a word to use for it. Now, I'm not going to share details because it's not appropriate, but you don't need them to track with this story. And uh, don't get too excited. I, I don't think it's anybody in this room right now. They, um, I, I don't think there. Are you out? <laughs> no, we're good. Um, but I had, I, I had this feeling. I was talking to Lindsay about it, and I was like, I've felt this feeling before. I've been here before where I, I was waiting on somebody that had some power over my life, and then they, they did me wrong. I've been here before. I've felt this before. And I could name at least two other situations where this happened. And um, finally, I got humbled by it. Finally, it hurt enough that I was humbled. And I went to bed that, that night reeling, and I said to God, okay, I'm, I'm ready to learn. If there's anything I can do, I'm, I'm listening. And I fell asleep, and I had a dream that night. I dreamed about a couple of people that I hadn't thought about in a long time who are part of one of these earlier instances in my life where I had been damaged by people who disappointed me, and I think maybe there was some betrayal there. But in this dream, I was being really, really kind and sweet to these people. I remember specifically, I was rubbing this one person's back, and I was saying to them, don't worry, about everything's going to be okay. And I felt these really warm feelings towards them. But then in this dream, I also spoke up and in, in a very forthright and clear way, without getting angry, I advocated for what I thought should happen from my perspective in the dream. I really said what I thought, what was right. And I woke up the next morning and I thought, well, that was weird. Man, I haven't really thought about those people in a while. And um, what do I have to learn from this past event? And you'll be shocked how quickly an answer will rise up if you will ask that question. Two things instantly presented themselves to me. One was, you know, the dream, that's not how it went. I, in reality, I got angry in that past circumstance. And I think that I was right to get angry. I think I was justified to get angry, but I don't think my anger did any good. I don't think it helped me. And so I resolved in that moment, I was like, I'm right to be angry right now. I'm justified to be angry right now, but I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm, I'm going to be slow to speak quick to listen, and slow to become angry. And, and then another thing, in the dream, I really spoke up for what I thought was right, and I'd always had this regret of yesterday that I, I never feel like I ever fully said all that I had to say to all the people that I had something to say to. And I always sort of wondered if things might have gone differently if I had done that. And I said, well, I'm going to do that differently this time. To the degree that is within my grasp, I'm going to say, not with anger, but in a direct, forthright manner, in an honest way, I'm going to fight for this thing. I'm going to say what's true. I'm going to say from my perspective what I think is right. 
And maybe it won't change anything, but at least years from now, when I look back on this situation, I won't have that regret. I'll be able to lay my head on my pillow at night and say to myself, you did everything that you could do. You didn't hold it back. You said it. You said what was true. And two things happened instantly when I recognized those two things about the past and made those decisions about how I was going to behave differently in the future. Two things happened. One, I felt way more calm and confident about what I had to face. It was like I had a roadmap now. I had a battle plan. I had a strategy. And it wasn't some other, someone dropping advice on me. It was like embodied wisdom that I got from my own experience of the universe. And I was still hurting, still am hurting, but it, it went from reeling to bruised. And I felt calm and confident that I had a plan. I knew what to do now. Um, and then the second thing happened, and this I didn't expect, I felt really warm and tender towards those people from my past that I had so often struggled to forgive. And it was as if realizing what I needed to glean from the past changed the past. I found it very easy to forgive them. I, I felt like really tender towards them. I, I felt like I started thinking compassionately like the pain that they'd gone through and the hardship that they'd gone through. And it just made me wonder if all those times that I thought, thought that I was having a hard time forgiving them, if it wasn't really about that. If it was, no, there's something I haven't yet gleaned from that. And once I got that out of it, the past was like, okay, my work here is done. And the past that had gotten out in front of me was now behind me, fueling me to move on into the future. If you'll do this, if you'll have the courage to ask this question and go where it takes you, what you're going to find is that as you go through life, you, you, become, you become more, not less. You don't move on from the past, you move on with the past. And that's really important to know because when something, especially when something really painful has happened, people will say, you got to move on, it's time to move on. And you know what? You do. But if you try to move on from the past, it's like there's a rubber band tied to your waist and you, you're fighting against it and eventually it just snaps you back. You can't move on from the past, you move on with the past. And, and what happens is you become more, not less. So, for example, one of the things that I've really appreciated about Jordan and, and Jessica, their leadership of our church, is that they both openly talk about their first marriages and how those ended in, in painful tragedy. And um, they've, they've, they've learned things, they've embod they embodied things about the world that I can't know. And, and they probably learned a lot of things that kind of go in the category of here's things none of us can know about the world. Um, but they talk about that. It's not like that never happened. And so here's what we have. Jordan, Jordan is not just a man whose first wife died to cancer. And he is also not just a man who's happily married to a woman that he does not deserve. <laughs> he is, just trying to keep it real, <laughs> Jordan is a man who lost his first wife to cancer and is married, happily married uh, today to Jessica. You, you don't become less, you become more. This is why I think Jesus was so, sometimes so future-oriented. He would rename people. You know, when he came up to Simon, Simon, who would um, cowardly deny that he even knew who Jesus was, he said, no, you're not Simon, you're Peter, the rock the one who will go to his death because he refuses to deny who I am. And Paul wasn't always called Paul. He was Saul. When Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he was Saul, the one who was, 
who was so zealous for the wrong value system that he was persecuting the first Christians. And Jesus said, no, you're going to be Paul, the one who recognizes the true value system so much that you're able to say all that success is worthless. And only a man who realizes that success in this world is worthless is able to go to the death that Paul went to with the kind of faith and courage that he did. Only a man who understands the past as Jesus sees it could write this letter to the Philippians where if you go back to chapter 1 where Paul talks about the fact that he has been imprisoned, he's in chains because of his faith in Jesus, and he could have been so tempted to give way to regret of yesterday. He easily could have said, oh, I'm I'm getting this all wrong. I shouldn't have followed Jesus the way that I am. I shouldn't have been so direct about the gospel. I should have laid off. I should have let things slide. He could have given in to all that and let the past get out in front of him. But instead, he says, you can go read this in Philippians chapter 1 to these young believers, that this is actually helping the gospel. These chains are helping the gospel because God is giving me access to talk to people about Jesus that I never would have had access to before. And so, Paul, it's not that he can't remember any of that stuff. He's not stuffing it. It's like, I did that. That happened. That's me and this. And those things that happened to you, those things that you did, that's you. That's your life. And, and there's a certain degree to which it can't be changed. There are consequences to the past, and there are things that, that happen that can't be changed. But there's a portion of the past, and I don't think it's trivial. It might even be the larger portion of the past that has to kind of get through you first before it can move on to today and the future. I I don't think I can overstate this. There's a portion of the past, what it means for today, that you get to decide what it means for today. There's a portion of the past that you get to say what Jesus says about me, what Jesus says about value. That is how I'm going to view everything that happened and everything I did. And I don't know if I could overstate how powerful that subtle difference is. What could be more different than resentment versus forgiveness moving forward? What could be more different moving forward than learning from the past versus repeating the past? I mean, I mean that, that power of, of changing what the past means for today and extracting from the past what you need to learn to face the future, I don't think we've seen the difference that it could make in your life and the lives of those around you and the lives of the world moving forward. Sometimes when you are tempted to be distracted from the present and the future because of regret for yesterday, I think the thing to do is to look even further back into the past, way back before you were born, before you were even a twinkle in your daddy's eye, before the United States of America existed, before the New Testament was written down, before there was a single Christian church in the whole world, there was this ordinary man named Jesus who grew up in a small town and learned his father's trade, and he was watching. He was watching the birds and the mustard seeds and the socio-political structures of his day, and he was listening to his father And just as he was coming to the apex of his spiritual genius, and there was only a few people in the world who were just starting to get an inkling of who this man really was, way more than just an ordinary man, he voluntarily went to his death. He took everything that was going to happen and everything that had happened, 
long before you were even thought of. Everything that ever happened to you and everything you'd ever do. And he said, it is finished. And so when you are tempted to get caught in the regret of yesterday, maybe look further back and recontextualize your past by the deep past. The one who was there at the beginning, who is also the end. The one who is the alpha and the omega, the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who is working out all things for the good of those who love him. The one who said that those who place their faith in me, they're predestined to be conformed to my image. And what you'll find if you look into the deep past is that you're looking into the face of your future. I want to pray that that's exactly what each and every one of us do. Lord, I'm talking about some no-joke stuff today. This is not easy. This is potentially very painful, very disruptive in the short term to stop pretending like these things aren't there. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide each and every person to, to look at as much as we can, not more than we can right now, but to look at as much as we can and to help shepherd us and guide us to be able to draw out from our memory that which we need to turn our attention now to today and tomorrow. And I pray in that way we would forget the past and stretch out towards the future, the prize, the goal to which you have called us heavenward in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.